Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler joins us to talk all about the Baker Mayfield trade to the Carolina Panthers and the beginning of his top 10 series where he interviews executives, coaches, and scouts around the NFL to break down the best players at each NFL position. Really fascinating stuff from NFL sources there. But before we get started, ESPN, in partnership with Peyton Manning's Omaha Production, present Always College Football with ESPN College Football Analyst Greg McElroy. He takes a deep dive into the sport with the biggest names on and off the field. With off-seasons being a thing of the past, which especially seems true in college football these days, McElroy goes year-round with analysis, opinions, and insight on top teams and under-the-radar stories from coast to coast. That's always college football. Listen, wherever you get your podcast. Now, here's Jeremy Fowler talking about the Baker Mayfield trade and the top players in the NFL. All right, joining me now here as promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, someone I love having on who is so informed, not only in his own sense, but also talks to so many people around the NFL, gets insight into what people are thinking around the league. We're going to talk to him about his top 10 series in a minute. But first, joining us to talk about the Baker Mayfield trade and the repercussions from the Baker Mayfield trade is my friend ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. Jeremy, how are you? Doing great, man. Doing great. Just got off the, the beach. I'm nice. ready to lock in for the podcast. It's no nice. Bali. I know you were just in Bali, but it's, <laughs> it's pretty good. Connecticut Beach, I'll take it. Hey, you know what? Beach is a beach. At the end of the day, beach is a beach. I'm, 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 I'm going to burn no matter where I am, whether it's Bali, whether it's Connecticut. Put me on the beach for a half hour. <laughs> my ankle or some random part of my body that I forgot to put sunscreen on will end up beet red. That is going to happen to me. There's always one spot you forget. That is exactly how it goes. The the ankle, the backside of my knee, any any spot, fingertips. It's happened. If, it, if there's a spot, you can burn. I'll burn too. Now, Baker Mayfield, someone who maybe felt like he was in Bali at times when he was at his peak, at his pump in Cleveland. A guy who felt like the king of Cleveland for stretches over the past several years, and obviously it changed fell off dramatically um, last year, a very difficult season. The organization seemed to sour on Baker Mayfield. Some of the fans seemed to sour on Baker Mayfield. And then the Deshaun Watson trade happens. Baker Mayfield wants out. This happens. He gets traded this week to Carolina for a conditional late round pick, I believe in 2024. So Jeremy, first off, let me ask you this. Our it seemed like Baker Mayfield was going to get traded, but are you surprised it took yeah. this long for all parties involved to get a deal done? No, it really wasn't because of the dynamics involved with the money. Like anytime, so the, the leverage was gone, right? Like yeah. Cleveland had none of it because they gave Watson everything they had. Uh, and so teams were fully willing to wait this out. And And I do think there was an element of owner, David Tepper with the Panthers, knowing that he gave up a ton for Sam Darnold. Maybe not at the time, but but considering how Darnold played last year, it felt like they gave up a yes. lot. Yes. And they were they were committed to a lot of money within the eighteen point eight million that, that Darnold's do this year on a fifth year option. So they were thinking, well, we just can't go farther than like five or six million uh, for Baker Mayfield. You know, mm-hmm. like to, for him to play for us in twenty twenty two, we're just not going to do it. And so that's what took so long because the Browns just weren't willing to concede that they had to pay a lot of the money. They kind of got what they wanted because they're only paying ten and a half million, and so mm-hmm. that's probably a little better than maybe they even thought a couple months ago. 
Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. really just a, a money equation. That's what took so long. Like the Panthers knew that they had a ton of leverage. Some teams, there, there really wasn't another team. Um, Seattle, like, you know, they, my understanding is their interest was predicated on him being released. Mm-hmm. So as far as making a major play with a trade offer, I just never got that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there are only so many sort of teams who are really in the market for Baker, even at a reduced salary, where it seemed incredibly unlikely somebody was going to pay the full $18.9 million. But even at a reduced salary, there were only so many teams after the draft, after free agency, who were going to be in the Baker market. I mean, at some point, was it just Carolina was the last team and really the only team left standing? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's why it took so long, because the Browns had to sort of be resigned to the fate mm-hmm. that they weren't going to get all that much. But uh, I, you know, I was told that both parties kind of conceded at the end. That's why this got done mm-hmm. pretty recently. I would say, from what I was told yesterday and, and this week, that it was pretty much locked up like Tuesday morning. Like it was done, and then the Panthers started to get word that it that like some piece of, some other players knew because mm-hmm. there was a Lake Tahoe golf tournament this week, like a celebrity <laughs> golf tournament, where Mahomes and a bunch of those guys were out there, and they were they were hearing about it. So the Panthers ended up just kind of getting it out there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been done for a couple of days now. And really, it's it started to crystallize when the Panthers got permission to talk to Mayfield. I think that once they were able to talk with him, Matt Rule, the, the head coach, GM Scott Fitter, got on the phone with them and sensed that he would be excited to play in their offense. That really got the ball rolling. And then like late, early this week, I think both sides made concessions. The Browns put in a little more money mm-hmm. and the Panthers sweetened the deal with a better draft pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, it felt like, it felt like a game of chicken, right? You know I mean? It, it felt yeah. like you just had these two sides, or I guess three sides, even with Baker, since Baker did leave some money on the table where it felt like there was just right. this, this long staring contest until someone finally blinked and was yeah. going to sacrifice. And it seemed like, you know, both, everyone had something to gain here, you know, right? Like the, right. Baker did not want to be on the Browns. The Browns didn't want Baker. And the Panthers, I mean, realistically, have been shopping for a quarterback for several years now. So, you know, it, it does feel like sacrifices had to be made here, but it also, to me at least, kind of feels like a win-win for all parties involved. It does. But to your point about Baker taking less, I'm still a little shocked that he took less mm-hmm. because you had the money guaranteed, $18.8 million. You're not guaranteed to get a huge contract after this year. Mm-hmm. I guess it depends on how you play or if you even get a chance to play. Right. And this is not a guy who's made a ton of money in the league. You know, he was first round, it was the first overall pick, so you got a good rookie contract. But as we know, rookie contracts aren't great. Where Odell Beckham for the Browns took less to get out of his deal in Cleveland during the season because he just wanted to be an LA Ram or wherever mm-hmm. he wanted to go, wanted to be, free, be a free agent, so he took less money. But he had already made like $90 million and it right. was a top guy, you know, at least before the injuries, was clearly a top 10 receiver. You know, so he had he was in a different situation. The Browns still convinced Mayfield to take less. Like, <laughs> I, I'm still shocked by that. And that's how they won. Like, that's really how they got the biggest victory is they, mm-hmm. you know, sort of played this a couple months ago. They asked him to, to lessen his guarantee, which would help the salary cap. And he wasn't willing to do that. It was kind of a heck no. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, well, maybe this is this is my only chance to actually play mm-hmm. this year is to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, 
I can see why you would say he doesn't have to do it. I think the Odell Beckham comparison, I mean, maybe that's what the, the, the team wanted, but certainly, you know, like you said, different situations for each of those guys. Um, what I find interesting here when it comes to evaluating what happens next with the Carolina Panthers, now with Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, and Matt Corral, of course, who they traded up for in the draft this year and trade, paid a pretty, pretty significant haul. I mean, it wasn't like they just took him when he landed there. They traded up, I think, in the third round to get him, gave up. Uh, by, I think, ESPN's measure is pretty significant draft capital yeah. to add Matt Corral. So it's not like they think Matt Corral is just a guy they're going to, you know, just just put right. in there, uh, you know, in case of emergency. I I wonder how the Panthers feel about the various guys on their roster right now, because Sam Darnold, of course, yes, he did struggle last year. Yes, he was a mess. Yes, they wanted to get another quarterback in there. But they thought Sam Darnold was going to be their guy. I mean, they were willing to commit two years yeah. to Sam Darnold and trade significant draft capital to get him last year. Corral, they trade up in the draft to grab. So they, they clearly valued yeah. him as more than just a guy who fell to them. And with Baker, I mean, it's not like they traded for Baker the first chance they got. It's not like they, they were jumping to yeah. trade for Baker Mayfield. They, you know, when the price got right, they were willing to take a flyer on him and they didn't give up much to get him. Yeah. It's, I think, a little under $5 million and a, a conditional pick. Yeah. But... You know, I wonder, I think maybe public perception, at least what I think right now is, yeah, Baker's the best quarterback. He's going to be the guy who wins this job. But what what sense do you get about how the Panthers view Baker Mayfield? Do you think they see him as as the guy for, for 2022? Or do you think it's going to be more of a real competition between the three quarterbacks in that building? Well, I, I think it's, I think it will be a true competition, but it will be a layered competition <laughs> and Mayfield will go into this Mm-hmm. knowing his chances are pretty good. Like, I, I really don't think he would approve it if he was going to be the number three quarterback or even the number two. Mm-hmm. Um, now, granted, I know the Panthers do like Sam Darnold, what he did this offseason. They felt he had a really strong offseason. They felt like he got a little bit of an edge to him finally. Mm-hmm. Um, really, their only question with him is what happens when, you know, the pocket collapses on him, you know, yeah. and he's got pressure. Can he get it done? That's really the only question they have about him. Everything else they like, you know, but it's – and the, the thing with Baker Mayfield is they waited because not everybody there was sold mm-hmm. that he was going to be the guy. Like it, it wasn't in late April around draft time when they were talking about Baker Mayfield talking with the Browns, not everybody in Carolina's building was like, we have to do Baker Mayfield. Now they agreed. Mm-hmm. We have to address the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's a strong sentiment from the coaching staff, or at least from Matt rule that, Hey, like Mayfield will help us, you know, mm-hmm. he's a proven option. And I think they feel like they upgraded their room, which maybe gives them a good position to get this done if he, uh, if he you know, shows up and knows the verbiage of the offense and can kind of pick that up quickly. Now he's got a month to try to do that. Well, really three weeks to try to do that before training camp. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's funny, Bill, like they have three quarterbacks. They might have no quarterbacks. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they don't have a – and that's not a knock on any of these guys, but they don't have one player where you say – Okay, he's the guy at the position, right? Mm-hmm. I think Baker probably has the best chance of those three to be that. Uh, but it's hardly a slam dunk right now because we just don't know. And Matt Corral, they like him a lot, but the sense I get is he's going to need some time. You know, I think that was the sense in the draft. And there were character concerns about him, fair or not. You know, I think he's ready to address those, and, and mm-hmm. Carolina believes that he's the right guy to do that. Uh, but there's just, you know, there's going to be a learning curve for him, for sure. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, any rookie quarterback taken in that part of the draft, you're, you know, you can hope they're going to step in and be a guy immediately. Russell Wilson, I think, is the 
you know, one of the few exceptions, but almost always those guys need a couple years before they even have an opportunity to show what they can do. So, I mean, Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield, both free agents after this season. So Matt Corral could be looking at 2023 as a, a possibility yeah. uh, if, if Baker and Sam don't distinguish themselves this upcoming season. Now, yeah. from the Browns it's a, perspective. It's a pivotal, pivotal point for the Panthers, by the way. Just like they feel like they have a good roster, and they do. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. It's pretty good, pound for pound. So they just they feel like they're missing this one piece. Yeah. I mean, I, I put it in my column about this trade. I mean, they were – their defense, you know, on a drive-by-drive basis was very good, especially for the first, before their bye. They had a bye late in the year, and they kind of collapsed because they were so tired at the end of the year. They were beat up. They had, they faced the fourth most drives in football. They had the worst average starting field position in football by a yard and a half. You know, they they were, they were basically, yeah. they were playing at a disadvantage to a greater extent than any other defense in football because that offense was such a mess. And you know, I think for the, the Panthers' perspective, I mean, there's that question of, hey, if we can just have a competent quarterback, we have good weapons. Our offensive line's much improved after drafting a Kimakwanu. Our defense is good. Like we can be a competitive yeah. team if we just get okay quarterback play. Oh, no doubt. That division's wide open. If you, you take the Bucks out of it, I, I think the Bucks are still clearly the yeah. favorite there. You know, Saints in transition, Falcons clearly in transition. So there's some damage to be done there, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sense is Matt Rule knows that, plus he's got pressure on his job. And so yeah. he's thinking, hey, Baker Mayfield could maybe put us over the top. I, he knows it's not a slam dunk. I think everybody there knows it's not a slam dunk, but they like the ability enough where it was just it was worth the flyer. And they knew they were going to get it done. It's just, you know, they were sort of hedging, knowing that we're just not going to get the Browns what they want. That's mm-hmm. why it didn't get done in late April. You know, they just said, hey, we'll move on with Corral. And they were sort of, at that point, they were comfortable if they didn't get Baker. They were going to sort of keep digging on it until something happened, and nobody else really stepped up to make it interesting for Carolina. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that, you know, maybe if someone had gotten hurt, you know, it's happened. Ryan Tannehill, you know, tore his ACL a couple of years ago, and that, that led to Jay Cutler coming back, the, the Teddy Bridgewater situation where Sam Bradford uh, was traded then from the Eagles to the Vikings for a first-round pick. I mean, that stuff does happen, but nothing's happened so far everyone stayed healthy uh, heading into training camp so there was not that that clear opening outside of seattle and, and like you said it doesn't seem like seattle seems particularly interested in adding to you know uh, early setting mayfield in terms of no. what they have um from the the browns perspective i mean it, it, it seems unlikely that they would have kept baker mayfield under any circumstance that relationship was so destroyed after last year that it seems like it would have been impossible to keep him but facing what happens with Deshaun Watson, which we don't know yet. That could be a suspension. There's been all kinds of reports and speculation uh, that it will be for an entire season or more than a season. We don't know at this point, but do you think that the, the, sorry, the Browns were willing to make this trade, make that final concession? Do you think that tells us anything about what they think is going to happen with Deshaun Watson suspension? And maybe they would have kept Baker Mayfield if they really were confident he was going to be gone for an entire season? Or do you think it was just they were getting rid of him and it was just a matter of timing? Yeah, I think it's the latter. Maybe there's an element of, okay, if Watson's going to get hammered for two years here or a year plus, mm-hmm. maybe we hold on to Baker Mayfield. I, I do think, and I get the sense there was a feeling in Cleveland that, okay, we're going to trade him. This hasn't gone well. Both sides are ready to move on. But if for some reason he had to stay, it probably would be mutually beneficial for him to play. You know, mm-hmm. like they recognize that. He knew the offense. You know, if, like, if, if they held on to him until August and then all of a sudden, a trade's not going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. 
you'd probably ask him to play. Now, that would have required Jimmy Haslam to fly to Baker's house, most likely, and smooth things over, and I don't think that would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, because Baker was pretty intent on not helping them out. Like, he was, you know, he was he was gone. He was ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, they feel, hey, we signed Jacoby Brissett as a bridge quarterback. We know why we signed him. We got Josh Dobbs, too, as a backup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're hopeful to show him this is, uh, you know, less games than people are saying right now, but, and I, and I, you know, asking around, I don't necessarily think it's a slam dunk that he gets a year right now, mm-hmm. you know, so they're hopeful, uh, you know, maybe if they can get a day games then they're still in a good spot with Brissett. I think if mm-hmm. it's a year over, I think they look around, but they're not going to go get like a Kirk cousins or something, you know, like they just, they've already given up so much to get Watson that they're sort of stuck and they know it. So mm-hmm. it's the Brissett show and still until uh, proven otherwise. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8-Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Well, the one guy I was going to ask you about, and and I, I wonder what happens to him because he's kind of the last guy left standing, is Jimmy Garoppolo, where... You know, I mean, he's theoretically going to start throwing this this July in a couple of weeks. He is making, I think, a little over $25 million this year unguaranteed. The Niners, they like Jimmy Garoppolo. They also traded three first-round picks to get Trey Lance. You got to figure at some point they want to play Trey Lance. I, I, I at least thought about the possibility of Jimmy Garoppolo going to the Browns, with, with, with the Niners assuming a bunch of the money. Um, but... You know, is there a landing spot for Jimmy Garoppolo at this point? Because you got to figure the only other place would be Seattle, and the Niners are not going to want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo inside the division to one of their biggest rivals. So what do you think happens with Jimmy Garoppolo now? I have no idea. And, I, and I've asked around him <laughs> this a bunch, and I'm, I'm trying to like think of something that is out of the, uh, out of the ordinary here, but I just can't find it. And I, I talked to an exec. Last night, who was coming the quarterback market, who was like, 49ers are sort of stuck for two reasons, because he needs to pass the physical. Mm-hmm. He, and he's supposed to begin throwing here really any day now if he hasn't already. But just because he's throwing a little bit doesn't mean he's ready to pass the physical, right? Like you have to right. ramp up to a certain level. So you have to pass physical, and you have to renegotiate the $24 million salary. And those are two big hurdles, you know, so they're not cleared easily. Here we are three weeks from camp. So, you know, Seattle, Seattle's looked at Garoppolo like they've done film work on him internally. They've talked about it, you know, but mm-hmm. I just don't see a way San Fran would trade him there. They would have to release him. Yeah. And that's why I still think a release is a, a major possibility here just because San Fran might have missed the window a little bit. You know, it mm-hmm. seems, I, I keep hearing that they had something months ago. Who knows how strong the offer was, but it seemed like they had something. And then uh, it just didn't happen for whatever reason, you know. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, you know, Trey Lance has gotten at least informal indications that he's the guy, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating on many levels, and I have no idea where he's going to play next year. 
Seattle yeah. would be the likely place, but it, it has to be on a release, I would imagine. So at least with San Fran, they know he's if he can pass the physical, they're off the hook for his seven million dollar injury guarantee. At that point, they can save a whole lot of money, just have a few million dollars in dead money by cutting him. You know, that might be the cleanest way at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's such a tricky spot because from Garoppolo's perspective, if he gets cut, he's not going to make. I would assume anything close to what he's making, you know, right. on paper for 2022. So if you're going to make, you know, if the Niners come to him and say, "Hey, we want you as our our backup or our you know our our one A, I guess," and we're going to give you eight million dollars a year, well, that might be more than yeah. you would make on the open market at this point. So I wonder if he ends up staying at a reduced price because there's just not really going to be an alternative for him financially on the market. Right, and this is why sometimes waiting be beneficial to the team, right? Not San Fran in this case. They kind of waited and you kept hearing they had a deal somewhere and it never happened and now here they are. But you look at Washington, right? They gave up, I believe, what, a couple third-rounders for Carson Wentz? Mm-hmm. Yep. Inherited a big salary. Maybe they could have waited and gotten Garoppolo for $8 million. Yeah. You know, you just never know. Because um, I'm trying to think of teams that still need a quarterback. You know? I mean, looking here, there's just not a clear-cut answer here. Um Right? Like, yeah. Does anybody come to mind for you? There's just not one team here. I'm looking. Cleveland, the Lions, maybe, Cle- probably not. You know, like Cleveland was the one team that made sense to me because I mean, you you either have got got guys you like, you know, whether it's young or old, or guys you're locked into, or you know, a team like the Lions doesn't really make sense for them to go out and trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Not right. not especially. Right, Seattle's literally the only team right now on paper. <laughs> so I wonder if oh, if I you're do. the Niners. If you're the Niners, do you say, hey, well, if we cut Garoppolo, he's going to go there anyway, so you might as well trade him and get something for him, even if he's going to go to Seattle one way or another. Right, right. So that's that's interesting because I, I do think the walls of engagement have mm-hmm. been broken down a little bit where it used to be, okay, you never trade a guy yep. in a division, you never trade him to a rival, you never trade him in conference. But you've seen a lot of that, I feel like, like this, you know, Teams are less hesitant. They're more willing to just get best value now. You know, I think you have younger GMs that are willing to deal. You see more trades. So maybe John Lynch would get creative. John Schneider's, he looks at every deal. He's a wheeling dealer. Like maybe they can look something out, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't take that off the table. Most people are taking that off the table. I I don't necessarily think that would be a slam dunk, but Seattle's been really clear. They just don't want to make a trade. Like they, they gave up a bunch of draft capital back in the day. Mm-hmm. For Jamal Adams and all those guys they traded for, you know, mm-hmm. they've been thin on their last couple drafts, so they, they want to load up. They want to mm-hmm. get a better roster, which they were able to do in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. And so they really just don't want to sign a guy unless he's released. So there's going to have to reach some sort of boiling point there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such a weird situation. And again, it could all change. If one guy, one starter gets hurt, suddenly the Niners are geniuses. They get a significant haul for Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo steps into his starting spot, and the whole world makes sense. But again, it, it's this, it's this, you know, this game of chicken. It's this game of, of we're going to wait until the last possible second to make this move. So, so many fascinating balls up in the air here uh, with this quarterback situation and, and Jimmy Garoppolo now the last quarterback seemingly in this game of musical chairs uh, left to move. So yeah, I, I think a lot of really interesting stuff with this Baker trade. So when I get to um the articles you're working on for ESPN over the next two weeks because they're so cool to me i I love hearing about 
you know, the, the perspective from people inside the NFL when they can actually talk about things without having to, you know, publicly link their name to something when they can talk about their own evaluations, their own feelings about players. And well, actually, let me let, ask you to explain it. How, how do you formulate these top tens position by position? Yeah, so when we started a couple of years ago, and this is the third year we've done it, um, you know, I was, I was asked to do a ranking of players, top 10 in each position for a summer project. And I was like, okay, well, that's great, but everybody does lists. You know, you see top 10 lists and you see this tandem list and top 100 lists. And mm-hmm. how, can, how can we differentiate? So I thought, like, I wonder if the league were to make a list, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. So that was really the impetus of it. So I just started calling and texting around and, and eventually I just started asking, you know, execs I knew and coaches and scouts and some players like, Hey, just send me your top 10 at this position. Here's a pool of 20 guys. Let's say defensive tackle, send me your one through 10. And then I compile and I make a composite ranking and, you know, in all we talked to nearly 70, uh, 70 people around the league and wow. uh, at least 50 people voted at least on a few ballots, you know, so. Um, you just try to, it kind of turns into a monster and it takes a couple of months, but, um, you know, it's, it's 11 days of good content in the summer. So we'll take it. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. It, it is outside of the Baker trade, one of the more quieter times uh, of the NFL offseason. So I, I'm definitely intrigued and there's also really cool stuff happening here because I think we have this sort of public perception of, okay, well, this is what, this is how these guys grade out. Even the money to some extent, you know, you might use to inform how, how these guys rank, but it's interesting hearing what people actually think when when they're left the devices when they're left to give their opinions privately about about yeah. how these guys sort out so well, let's run through a couple of the positions you already have up here um okay. we'll we'll start with edge rusher and i believe these guys were one two last year you'll correct me if that's not the case but you have tj watt number one and miles garrett number two so number one was this the same one two as it was a year ago no, it was flip-flops. So Garrett was the guy last year. Ah. And then I think Watt just, Watt with his body of work, you know, another massive year. He just keeps going up. I think people feel like he's undeniable, you know, just, mm-hmm. it's funny because this is where I think, this is where things differ. If you're a casual fan, you say TJ Watt, clearly best player at the position last two years, right? Look at the production. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. And he is great. Some of the league folks are like, okay, I need to be convinced because I just don't see the athletic traits that the other guys have. You know, I just, like it's 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 often very simple these guys it's power it's violence it's counter moves it's you know and then mix that with some of the nuances of the game they're like he's a great player he's got everything you want except you know does he have the explosion but he's proven over time that like he's so good and such a good total package that mm-hmm. any deficiency you thought he had he's overcome mm-hmm. so sometimes there's a confirmation bias involved these people need to see it so I think that's why mm-hmm. Garrett was two la- or was one last year. It's like you watch him and you say, okay, there's only a few guys on earth that can do what he's doing. You know, mm-hmm. we're what just over time, just beat him down with good play and got the number one spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they're both great players. It really isn't a, you know, I mean, even if you have guy at one, it's not like the guy at number two is terrible or anything or has any deficiencies. It's just a matter of who's been more productive or less productive over the past couple of years. How close was that race? Was Watt a clear number one or was it, was it really, really close between the two of them? You know, uh, I think it was actually not all that close. Really? Uh, Interesting. Miles Garrett gained a little bit at the end, but but Watt had it pretty clearly. And then Nick Bosa was a clear three, was not close. 
He, wow. There was a big gap between Watt and, and Miles Garrett, and then Nick Bosa was a very clear three, and then it was a complete crapshoot after that. <laughs> so it was well, interesting. So like four, like four through ten was not that much of a variance. Mm-hmm. But number four was was Joey Bosa, Nick's Bosa, Nick Bosa's brother. So I think yeah. that's really fascinating because, you know, Joey Bosa has a little bit bigger of a sample to work with where we've seen Joey Bosa be a star, whereas Nick Bosa he was very good as a rookie, very, very good as a rookie, yeah. but then missed all of his second season with a torn ACL. Really, you know, I think he played a couple games, but was, was basically you know, done by September, done by a second game. And then last year, yeah. phenomenal. I mean, took a step forward, 15 and a half sacks, 20 or 32 knockdowns after nine and, nine and 25 as a rookie. So I mean, I'm a little surprised that it wasn't closer where, where Joey Bosa was not sort of on the same tier maybe yeah. as his brother. Yeah. And I agree with you. I, it, Cause Joey Bosa is like the classic pass rusher, right. right? He just long and he's got all the moves and, you know, he sets up tackles to win and all that. I think it's just mm-hmm. Nick Bosa, you know, he was third. He came in third two years ago and then mm-hmm. was still in the top 10 last year after he tore his ACL. So wow. NFL people are just enamored with his like, violence that he plays with but he's like really mm-hmm. compact and strong mm-hmm. he just brings another element that joey doesn't have mm-hmm. where he can command double teams and dominate a game a little bit more you know mm-hmm. so uh, a lot of times for these guys it comes down to you know who who, who can you put in any scheme and they'll be dominant right especially yep. for like cornerback and positions like that yep. you know can you play anything and then are you feared you know like if you're play if you're game plan for this guy does he scare you you know who scares mm-hmm. you the most so that's really that's what it comes down to. So that's why Nick's so high. Yeah, I think absolutely. And then you talk about Nick Bosa getting double teamed so frequently in the column, some of the data from ESPN stats and info. It's really instructive there in terms of how how scared teams are, even with a very good defensive line around Nick Bosa, of Nick Bosa wrecking their games. What I also find interesting about the rest of the top 10 here, you have three guys who are deep into their 30s. Von Miller, at six, just signed a big deal with the Bills, of course. Chandler Jones at seven, who signed a big deal with the Raiders. And Cam Jordan uh, at 10. So three guys yeah. at 32 yeah. and older. So when you talk to people around the league, was there any perception or any hint that these guys are slipping? Or do you think you know that these guys are all still playing at a superstar level? Well, I, I do get the sense that some of these guys are slipping. And that's what makes it so hard is... Mm-hmm. So many people, especially coaches, will vote uh, based on production. And that's a bit of a problem I got to weed through when I do this is they'll, they'll vote a lot on production. Like Harrison Smith at safety, he's 33, but he, you know, he's been so productive. Well, okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. But like, he's still a great player. But if you're drafting guys right now, right. you know, would, would he be as high? Because he lost a half step. So every position, it's a problem. Um, and so, yeah, like Cam Jordan, it, it, that was a tough one because he was up against Trey Hendrickson, who should be on the list, really. Yeah. He was 11th because uh, he's had insane production and younger. But he's, you know, he, he's a bit of a one-note player that some teams feel like he's a great pass rusher, and that's probably all you'll get. Or, you know, if you're talking about complete players, Cam Jordan is great against the run. Still came on mm-hmm. hot late for sacks. Didn't have much help in the front. They were beat up everywhere else, and he still produced. Mm-hmm. You know, still gets double teams. So it's stuff like that that sneaks a guy in. Um, but it's funny, like it came out a couple of days ago and I get a text from a guy in the NFC that's like, you know, your list sucks. You have Max Crosby ahead of Khalil Mack. You know, like <laughs> Khalil Mack's still like scary, mm-hmm. but he just hasn't had the production that some of these other guys have had. So 
Right. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, it's some of those guys are, even though they're older, they're still, you know, like they still scare you more than most. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, someone like, like Chandler Jones is so fascinating because last year, you know, he has that five sack game to start the season. And you think, Oh my God, you know, he's going to be defensive player of the year again. He's a monster. And then he had five and a half sacks over the rest of the entire season. So we know what he's capable yeah. of on a single game basis, but maybe he's not that guy 17 weeks the way he might've been a couple of years ago. Yeah. There was concern about, about him and Sam Jordan, the most out of those edge rushers about decline. Like, okay, they're, they've been great, but is there a decline happening right now? So yeah, that, that was interesting. Yeah. Great players though, but you know, it's every age gets us all. Yeah. I mean, and again, like even if they've slipped a bit, you can still slip and still be, one of the 10 best players in the league and still be a really valuable player in your position. For so, sure. Um, yeah. For sure. Now I will say defensive tackle, public perception, it's Aaron Donald. And then there's everybody else. It, it seems like that was also the case when you ask people around the NFL, how they felt about Aaron Donald and, and the defensive tackle rankings. Yeah. There's really nothing to even say about him. Like, you know, I try to get quotes from a lot of these guys on players and, Aaron Donald, but what, what else is there to say, you know? Um, it's just kind of like, yeah, he's number one, move on. So that's kind of a feeling. Um, he got every first-place vote. I think wow. he was, once again, the only player to get every first-place vote. Wow. Nobody else has done that, I believe. Mahomes got close two years ago. Um, Quentin Nelson got close a couple years ago. But yeah, he's it. He's it. I mean, it's a dominant performance every year. So, yeah, it's, it's really a two through, through ten list for sure. <laughs> I mean, is there any other list? Certainly still a lot more to come in terms of the list, but is there any other list where one player is as dominant at his position as Aaron Donald was when it came to the defensive tackle rankings? You know, I'm looking at my uh, database here. Not really, um, because a lot of these guys are splitting votes. I would say Trent Williams. Interesting. um, But even he got a fifth place vote. I'm looking here. Wow. He He got a couple twos and a five. Where, you know, Aaron Donald, I'm looking at my list here, it's just literally all ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, not to tease too much, but Devontae Adams did really, really well. Mm-hmm. A lot of those guys like that I'm looking at, they have a ton of one votes, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah. no, nobody even close to Aaron Donald. Yeah, I mean, it, you certainly, you can't even say that, you know, uh, just thinking about what happened, literally the last play of NFL football we saw was Aaron Donald blowing up uh, Quentin Spain yeah. and winning the game for the Rams in the Super Bowl. I mean, there, there's just no case to me that you can pick anybody else. Yeah. He's just such a freak of nature. Now, I will say, after yeah. one, there's a lot of guys who could be number two, and I, I will say I think he's phenomenal, yeah. and I think there's no issue with picking him at two, but I was a little surprised to see Jeffrey Simmons as number two. Were yeah. you surprised he was that high? Mm, a little, but not really, because he got mm. some momentum last year, made the top ten. He was six, yeah. Even even though yeah, even though his production wasn't great, and this year he had the production to go with it, so I was like, okay, maybe he'll uh, he'll move up. I mean, there's just some people that think, he, as far as defensive players, he's one of the most disruptive of any position. Mm-hmm. So, and it's just it goes to that matchup thing, right? It might not show up in like pass rush win rate stats or or any stats really, but you know, you watch the game and you watch mm-hmm. how defenses treat him, or excuse me, offenses treat him, their offensive line, they're blocking like. He's the guy who has a lot of influence over the outcome of the game. For sure. So, you know, I heard a lot from Steelers fans. Because, I mean, Cam Hayward, like, he keeps he gets better. That's one guy that's not declining. He's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. Like, he, he never really had a wall. He just, that guy works really, really hard. 
and uh, you know he keeps his body up. He's incredibly strong, so he just knows how to how to win the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. He does a little bit of everything, and he's a great leader. So you know, like he he certainly could have made a case for two. Chris Jones has been two in the past. I just think people like Simmons a little bit better as a more well-rounded run stopper and pass stopper. Like mm-hmm. people, maybe maybe it's fair or not. There's still a perception that Chris Jones is not great against the run, or he's mm-hmm. not. Or will occasionally take plays off and all that stuff, and maybe that's just a stigma, but that does get him a little bit in these settings. Yeah, for sure. And I think you know it depends on when you're watching him, right? I think if you're watching him in the postseason, he's probably not taking too many plays off. The regular season might, might you know try to steal a sack, maybe in a situation where he shouldn't be trying to steal a sack. Everyone does that, though. I mean, Aaron Donald does that, and it works out well for him because he's Aaron Donald and he's he can break the rules, but. uh one guy who kind of is on the flip side of that, someone who's who's more of a much more of a run first player is Vita Vea, who came in at seven, where he doesn't play yeah. a lot of third downs. He plays fewer snaps than a lot of these guys. Really, a a first yeah. and second down, a short yardage player. I mean, do you think this is kind of as high as a player with his skill set can get, or do you think that outside of the Aaron Donald, where it's just a different player, but do you think he could get to you know a guy with his his talent to get to a, a two three four spot? Do you think you have to rush the passer? to be a dominant, true superstar defensive tackle in the eyes of evaluators around the NFL? I do. I think you have to have that element of being a complete player, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, Vita can rush the passer when yeah, he does. Like, I know the Bucks. Bucks, he, like when he's in the game, and we have to probably rest him a little bit because of how just how big he is, and he's had some injuries, but when he's in the game, he's a, quote, game wrecker, right? Like He can mm-hmm. kind of blow things up uh, better than, than almost anybody, and so that's why I think – Voters recognize he deserves a spot on the list, if not high, because of some of those limitations with the snaps and all that. But mm-hmm. um, other guys might be more complete. Uh, but he's just, you know, he's a destroyer of a line of scrimmage, you know, as, as they say. So, like, he, he has a spot somewhere. And this year it became pretty clear cut. He was supposed to be on there. Last year there were, like, 20 defensive tackles that were really good. This year there really weren't as many that were in the voting consideration, maybe, like, 12 mm-hmm. or 13 guys. They really pushed the envelope. Last year was a tougher field, and he still made it in. So mm-hmm. it made it easier for him to stay there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I think, you know, just a phenomenal player. You know, maybe he'd be a great pass rusher if they used him more on third down. I, I He doesn't have that skill set necessarily, but he's just such a physical force, such an athletic player that he wins one-on-one, and that, that creates pass rushing opportunities, even if he's not a, you know, even if he's not, he's maybe not the sort of player that Chris Jones is when it comes to, rushing on the interior um finishing up here you you alluded to some other players talked about Devontae adams talked about trent williams no surprises there the guys are great no no surprise that they would be towards the top or at the top of the rankings at their respective positions but are there any surprises if you don't want to name the player that's fine but maybe any position where you feel like there might have been a surprise or two based on how you feel the public typically views the players at that position. Hmm. Yeah, I'm looking here. I mean, I would say safety. Mm. Safety, there are some surprises because it was just the toughest position by far. Yeah. Like there, are, there were literally 25 guys that were really good. Wow. Um, so it resulted in a few surprises and a few sort of predictable moves that ended up being a surprise, one, because of where they fell, and two, because of how tough it was. Mm-hmm. leave a guy in or out you know like you just have a lot of contrast to that position you have like you know jamal adams who's coming off a rough year but 
two years ago. It was one of the probably the best defensive players in football. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was sort of sort of limited in pass coverage versus like you know Javon Holland who mm-hmm. is a stud and cover can blitz and do all the things, but is only one year in and maybe isn't like you know looked at as like a same way Nick Bosa or Patrick Sertan were when they came in the league, you know, after year one. So it's just, it's stuff like that that made it complicated. I'd say Sertan is a uh, well-positioned, probably a bit of a surprise to some after one year. Um, he's just, you know, he's just kind of got a, got the star look all over him. Yeah. You know, so that, yeah. that's one. I would say, uh, other than that, there's a couple, couple tight end surprises. Interesting. A couple tight okay. end surprises on the back end. I'm intrigued. Um, I, yeah, I I'm it's excited. This is such a fascinating series to me. So I'll be checking it out. Uh, if people if people are not aware of where they can check it out, Jeremy, where can they go ahead and read your breakdowns? Yes. Oh, by the way, that, the biggest surprise at all is of all is a quarterback. I forgot to mention that. Oh, okay. Well, that's so, that's a so big I'll, one to I'll forget. Say I'll say this. So let me try to. How should I should say this. So <laughs> if, you t- if, you, if you take, well, if you take Dak Prescott, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, uh, definitely not all those guys are in, and it's possible more than one. Interesting. Um, so, wow. yeah, it got interesting at quarterback for sure on the back end. Yeah, wow. so, but you can you can find it at ESPN Plus. It is uh, running. July 15th every day, a new position. And uh, yeah, you can find it there. Talking about it on uh, Sports Center and various ESPN outlets. And so, yeah, we appreciate uh, the subscriptions. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, Jeremy, you know it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for hopping on. Hey, thanks, Bill. Appreciate it, man. Good to catch up with you. All right. Thanks so much to my guest, Jeremy Fowler. Check out Jeremy's work, of course, all the time. He's on SportsCenter all the time. He's on TV all the time, writing for us at ESPN+. Jeremy is the best. Definitely check out his top 10 series. I will be each and every day. Thanks so much for uh, giving me a few weeks off. Thanks so much for uh, being patient. I was on my honeymoon the past few weeks. As Jeremy alluded, I was in Bali. I was enjoying the warm weather. Back here in the States, we'll be back now each and every week with the Bill Barnwell Show, back to the normal schedule of podcasting. So, of course, season preview stuff coming, maybe some more trades. Uh, Baker Mayfield trade gave us something to talk about, but a lot more still to come before the NFL season begins. So hope you guys are listening. Thanks so much for being patient, and more audio on the way next week.